I'm Brett Chang. And I am Jay Rosenthal, and this is your Peak Daily for Wednesday, September 28th, where we cover the biggest stories in Canadian and global business, finance, and tech, all in less than seven minutes. So Jay, we've got a really big fact of the day, a fact of the day that's pretty personal to me and you and all the Peak Pals here. So the Peak's Daily Newsletter has hit 100,000 readers. It's a massive accomplishment. And I just want to take a second to thank all the Peak Pals, to thank you, Jay, and the whole Peak team for helping us get here. It's pretty incredible. We started the Peak about two years ago, and I could never imagine that it would get to this scale. So just thanks to all of you. That's a big number, Brett. It's a big number, and I can't believe it. Jay and I don't want to spoil things on the podcast, but we're getting pretty close to 100,000 monthly listeners, too. I think we're at 80,000 now, and I just can't believe that there's that many people that are reading and listening to us every single day. It's a pretty huge accomplishment, and I'm very humbled by the whole thing. It's pretty great. Kudos to you and the team. I have, I think, a very, very small part to do with it, like really minuscule, but you guys have really done amazing work, so kudos to you. And if you aren't currently subscribed and you listen to the podcast only, I highly recommend you subscribe to the newsletter because it's a banger. And even if you don't read the newsletter, if you're just listening to the podcast, that's cool too. We love all of our Peak Pals, regardless of channel. But we do ask that you tell your friends and family about the podcast. We're trying to get that number to 100,000 monthly listeners, and we really could use your help on that too. But either way, just a big thank you to all the Peak Pals out there. Well, Brent, aside from some congratulations and some shameless self-promotion, what do we have for Peak Pals today? For our first story, a Vancouver company is making lithium mobile. For our second story, China is trying to revive Belt and Road. And for our last story, Nord Stream 1 and 2, well, they've blown up, Jay. They're leaking. It's not good. It's not great. For our first story, Vancouver-based International Battery Metals is proving that companies with comically nondescript names can do some pretty exciting things, aside from secretly being mob fronts. So, Brett, what is this company called? International Battery Metals up to. It's like we're the daily podcast company, Jay. That's our <laughs> that's our corporate name. So, look, the IVA, they claim to have developed a first-of-its-kind mobile lithium mining plant that can extract and process lithium with minimal environmental impact. And independent review found their tech obtained 65% of all possible lithium from brine, which is groundwater enriched with dissolved lithium, and that 93% of the processed water is actually recyclable. It sounds delicious, Jay. And this is important. Lithium is critical in the production of electric vehicle batteries, with the International Energy Agency predicting demand could increase 40-fold by 2040. But lithium is in short supply, and China has a grip on the global processing. Because of this, only 4% of North American auto production this year has gone towards EVs despite increased demand. Now, when it can be sourced, lithium is so expensive and it causes EVs to be up to 30% more expensive than the average gas-powered vehicle. An easy mobile process that causes less environmental damage could be a game changer as lithium mines have substantial ecological impacts on the groundwater, the soil, and air. Now, environmental concerns are part of the reason why some mining developments get held up, including one in Quebec angling to become North America's second operational lithium mine. But there's no promise that this technology could be upscaled and widely distributed to the point it would actually help increase global supply. So there's still some questions to get answered. Canada has a ton of lithium, which a lot of nations want to get their grubby little hands on. It's reassuring to see some homegrown developments that can help extract some of it. But a lot of work still needs to be done before we become a major player in the space. For a second story, there's buyer's remorse over that late night Amazon purchase. And then there's real buyer's remorse to the tune of $1 trillion. The latter 
is what China is experiencing right now as it tries to salvage its troubled Belt and Road initiative. Jay, what's the news around Belt and Road right now? Well, of the $1 trillion in loans made by China to foreign governments, 60%, 60% are now held by countries considered to be in financial distress, which is a sharp jump from just 5% in 2010, this according to the Wall Street Journal. Now, emerging markets, the main beneficiaries of Belt and Road lending, have been pummeled this year by rising interest rates in developed economies and a strong U.S. dollar. Not only are Chinese banks now reducing lending, they're also having to take losses and negotiate debt relief agreements with struggling borrowers, something they had been reluctant to do until now. If we zoom out, zoom. shaky Belt and Road loads are just one of the headwinds facing the Chinese economy right now. There's a lot going on. There is, and here's one of the other headwinds. It's also grappling with ongoing COVID zero lockdowns and a historic real estate market collapse, which China's largest property developer has categorized as a severe depression. And earlier this week, the World Bank forecast that China will lag the rest of Asia for the first time since the year before I was born, Jay, 1990. <sighs> <laughs> well, you are young. And here's what's next. The growing frequency and intensity of China's economic headaches are beginning to loom large over President Xi Jinping's bid to secure a third consecutive term as the leader of the Chinese Communist Party in October and make himself the longest ruling leader since Mao Zedong. And for our last story, in what sounds like a James Bond plot, Danish, German, and Polish officials believe that leaks in Russia's Nord Stream 1 and 2 gas pipelines were likely caused by acts of sabotage. Brett, come on all y'all, it's a sabotage. A Dane, a German, a Pole walking to a bar. Yeah, anyways, on Tuesday, Sweden reported two leaks in the Nord Stream 1 pipeline close to the Danish island of Bornholm, mere hours after Denmark reported a separate leak in the Nord Stream 2 pipeline in the same area. Now, Brett, neither leak affected immediate Russian gas exports to Europe. Nord Stream 1 flows had been indefinitely suspended, and Nord Stream 2 never even began operations after Germany effectively canceled it after Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Now, given the close proximity and timing of the leaks, they hardly seem accidental. Plus, Sweden's National Seismology Center detected two powerful blasts on Monday in the area. Now, it's not immediately clear who stands to gain from blowing up two non-operational pipelines, but... There are some early suspects in this geopolitical whodunit. A Ukraine official was quick to point the finger at Russia, claiming it was an act to further destabilize Europe's economy. However, Ukraine has its own motives as the country has long opposed the Nord Stream pipelines for economic and political reasons. Now, if the leaks could also be tied to the soon-to-be operational Baltic pipeline that is delivering Norwegian gas to Poland for the first time. Now, it all matters because, as one energy expert succinctly told the Financial Times, the probability of Nord Stream 1 coming back before the end of the year has essentially dropped from 1% to 0%. Not only have near-future Russian gas prospects for Europe evaporated, but the potential that Europe might never get Russian gas again has also increased substantially. The bottom line is Europe has enough liquefied natural gas lined up to make it through winter, this according to Bloomberg. But accounting for future energy security is somehow even more complicated now. And Jay, one last note before we end the pod. We did make a small mistake a few episodes ago when we were talking about Square's new Buy Now, Pay Later service. It's not available in person yet and only through their e-commerce platform. So we regret the mistake. I just wanted to clarify that. And for all the peak pals out there, thanks for making us the most listened to business news podcast in Canada. If you've got a second, why not follow this podcast on your app of choice and leave us a review now 
or later. And if you want more Peak, make sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter, which just hit 100,000 subscribers at readthepeak.com. And as always, thanks to Dale Richardson and 306 Media Productions for putting together this episode. Thank you, Dale. And thank you, Brett. And on to the next 100,000, Brett. Thanks, Shay.